You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, Episode 8. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapists Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Rambach, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. In this episode, I'm chatting with Erin Lundy. Erin owns Sound Matters Music Therapy, LLC, a private practice based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She works with adults and adolescents with developmental delays. Erin has a son who is now 17 months old and is pregnant with her second child, due in August. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with me, Erin. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get started with you sharing a little bit about your background, how you became a music therapist, and the sort of work that you do. Sure. I started my music career. I have an I have a bachelor's from the University of Iowa in music, vocal performance, and then I uh, performed a little bit, uh, went to Rhode Island for a little bit and performed in a little theater company there where I was acting as well as singing and playing violin on occasion. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I decided the contract was up and I wasn't getting what I wanted out of the, the experience. Uh, I've always had music as a part of my life. I started violin when I was two. And so I just, I thought music, you know, performance was the obvious, obvious thought I had as far as music was concerned. But I thought that there was something more that I could offer with music. And then I um, moved to Portland, Oregon, where I worked in a, um, or I worked as in a musical theater company. I was just on a show for about a year. And then I ran into, I was on a drive one day and just happened upon the campus of Merrill Hurst University, which is just south of Portland. And it is the only school in Oregon that offers music therapy. (laughs) And I didn't know anything about music therapy at the point, at that point, and took a little tiny tour. At that point, I was thinking of going back to school, but I didn't know in what. And I took a little tiny tour, and the one of the first people I met at the university was one of the professors of music therapy. And then I also ran into the uh, the the dean or the chair of music therapy there also it's a little it's a little tiny school it's really pretty really pretty little campus and I enrolled and quit my job and at that point I was working like retail I think just to, between shows and quit <laughs> and started the following week oh so you wasted no time yeah I just it was that time of year it was either now or wait until you know the next year really to start it and I just couldn't couldn't fathom that so I didn't do it (laughs) I just I just rearranged everything and went back to school 
I'm curious because I sort of had that same path where I went into performance not knowing about music therapy at that point. Mm -hmm. And I felt during my college years that there was something else out there for me, something related to music and that I just wasn't being fulfilled by pure performance. And Mm -hmm. I was lucky that I did find out about music therapy um, before I graduated. So I was able to kind of speed up my degree and Mm -hmm. move forward with um, grad school. But was there a point during your schooling that you felt like you wanted to maybe do something um, different or something more um, like along the lines of a helping profession? Or was it not until after you started working as a performer? Actually, yes. And I graduated from Iowa in three years because I was so interested in I wanted a change and I thought, well, maybe I need to find that change once I'm done with school. You know, maybe it's, maybe I need to just experience the, the lifestyle of being a working musician or, you know, or at least trying to be a working musician because I wasn't fulfilled in, in school. And I was, uh, I was studying classical vocal performance. And so there, there was a lot of opera and, you know, um, that, that kind of, that kind of work. And I just, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it, you know? And I was thinking maybe I need to transfer schools. But at that point when I was having that thought, it was like, well, I could just take a whole lot of class, (laughs) just get done a little early. So that's what I did. And yeah, I just in the University of Iowa has an excellent music therapy program and I didn't I just didn't know it. I just had no idea. So you weren't even aware of the program at all? Now that I think about it, I was in a choir with a couple of music therapy students at the time, but it just I I don't know, just didn't didn't uh appeal to me enough to explore that at the time I didn't know what it was and I don't know I was just so I was so interested in just studying music that I didn't think about any what else could be explored and I did think that I wanted to be in some ways a therapist or a counselor I wanted I I thought that that was really fascinating and but I just didn't know anything about music therapy until much later. <laughs> so. so did you take any um, psychology classes or other classes that helped you work towards your um, music therapy degree later? Well, no, not until not until I started at Merrillhurst. Okay. And at Merrillhurst, I was there for two years, and the reason was because I'd, I had had all of my music core completed. Yeah. And so I had all the psychology and all of the other uh, courses that I needed to take. So yeah, I didn't have, I don't know, I didn't have anything before I went to Merrillhurst. It was crazy. Yeah, I was totally in that same boat. And I, I don't think that we ever kind of put it together that we have such a similar background because I did the same thing. I wanted to finish out my vocal performance degree. And so I did that in two and a half years. I think my last couple semesters, I was taking 32 credit hours. And, right. just, and then you had to have 
like special permission. Oh, yeah. Yes. My advisor had to sign off on all of my semesters because they were just ridiculous. Um, And, you know, I look back and I think, how in the world did I do that? But that's sort of how I know that I did the right thing because I (laughs) pushed myself like that to, you know, pursue the type of career that I realized I really wanted. And Mm -hmm. my friends at the time thought I was insane. They were all like, why in the world would you want to leave college? And I went to a small liberal arts school in Florida on the most beautiful campus ever. And, you know, I was leaving there to go to Illinois for grad school. So they Mm -hmm. thought I was nuts, but (laughs) it all worked out so well. And I don't have any regrets about that. But Yeah. yeah, but I had all of that Um, all of those extra courses that I had to do, all of the psychology and all of that, um, those other facets of music therapy to make up really. Um, But luckily it only took two years of coursework like you. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't too bad, especially having all of that music core completed. Right. Mm -hmm. So once you finished your coursework at Merrillhurst, what did you do next? My internship, I I realized that I wanted to be closer to family and almost all of my family lives in Iowa and that's where I'm from and wanted to be in the Midwest, but I didn't want to move back to Iowa necessarily unless I was were to go to Iowa City. Uh, so I was looking at national roster internships and found Park Nicollet. Um, it's a it's a hospice internship in Minneapolis and that's where I decided I'd, I'd like to go. And I found myself in Minneapolis just ahead of the start of, of that. It was in April, 2010 and started the internship that summer. And following the internship, I worked in a nursing home for a year. And inside that year, I, took on one, well, no, I think just a few private clients on the side. And I, I really enjoy the business aspect of being in private practice. Uh, and that was really appealing and it was interesting and it was such a novel thing to me. I didn't have any business background. <laughs> so I thought that was really nice to be able to control my environment and and take on clients and fit them into my schedule. I thought that was that was kind of interesting. It was kind of fun. Um so I started working with adults with developmental disabilities and I have since seen a few adolescents and younger kids, but mostly I see adults with developmental disabilities and started the, um, the LLC in 2012, the fall. And I have since been working in private practice. Was it a difficult decision to decide to take that plunge into full-time private practice or how did you decide that, that the time was right to do that? No, it wasn't a difficult decision. I didn't, I, it was very gradual and the, uh, the, I found that I was making more money in private practice than I was working at the, at the, uh, at the nursing home and it was more gratifying and I was, 
I was, it wasn't a difficult decision and I've been able, and I still do have to learn. I mean, I feel like I am continuing to learn as I go and I'm trying to seek out resources and I'm trying to build a network of peer professionals in the area, you know, who there are a lot of people who work in private practice in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And so I'm learning as I go. Um, but now, yeah, I, yeah. So I didn't think it was, it wasn't a difficult decision at the time. And had I decided to take on an, an, the number of clients I now have at the time, I think that would have been a much bigger plunge, but it was pretty gradual. Nice. So how long were you in private practice before you decided to move forward with starting a family? Let's see. I got married. We got married in 2012. And I I don't know. I, I always thought of it as a, a very separate thing. <laughs> I just just wanted, I, I knew that we both wanted to have kids and we just didn't know how long it was going to take to, to get pregnant. And, you know, we just had no idea. So we just, we pretty much started within the year, our first year of, of marriage. And it was, it wasn't really a decision. I just learn as I go. (laughs) (laughs) As so many of us do. Kind of, you know, I don't, I didn't really I knew that I wouldn't have the foresight to understand what having a child and being in private practice would be. So I just decided that I wouldn't pretend that I know what to expect. <laughs> That's, so, that is the just, smartest thing I've ever heard because so I was the I just, exact opposite. I was like, oh, I can totally do this. I, I know how I'm going to structure my life and my schedule. And <laughs> now looking back, I'm like, I was so naive and so clueless. So I wish that I had had that just honesty with myself to realize like, yeah, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> I just knew that I wanted to keep working and I wanted to have babies. Yeah. yeah. So that happened. <laughs> <laughs> that happened. Good, good. So so I'm assuming that you continued working while you were pregnant then? Yeah, pretty much right in, right up in the week before I gave birth. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I did the same thing and it it got more and more challenge well, it was challenging in the beginning, I think dealing with morning sickness and just nausea and then you have that nice period kind of in the middle where it's not too terrible and then towards the end it gets a little bit um more challenging. Did you have that similar experience? Yeah, I remember <laughs> when I was in my like second and third trimester I was working with a lot of little kids. I was actually, yeah, I I forget because I didn't do this for too long, but I was working in daycares and preschools Mm -hmm. and (laughs) a lot of them wanted to be on the floor. Yeah. And I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I had a little, I found a little camping chair. (laughs) (laughs) Those tripod ones. Yeah, yeah. It is very small, but still provides some support. <laughs> so I'd have to sit on that. It was, 
it was, I don't know. It was just, yeah, that was hard. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, was, I was lucky, uh, and I'm lucky in this pregnancy too. I didn't have a terrible first trimester. It wasn't, I don't, I just don't have morning sickness to speak of. And it, so that's been really, it's been really nice. Oh, you are uh, so lucky. That's awesome. Yeah. The fatigue is what was dumbfounding this time around anyway. But I just remember with the first pregnancy, the mobility was a big issue. (laughs) Yeah, it does get so much harder as you get bigger. And I'm finding that out now being almost seven months pregnant here. um, I do early childhood music classes and one of my classes has – I think 10 kiddos and they are all very young and they're all very active. And when I finish that class, I need a nap. Like I need to come home and just sit and (laughs) my body's telling me, okay, you cannot do this much longer because it is, it's hard work. It's hard work for anybody, but especially, you know, carrying all that extra weight. (laughs) Right. Are you going to, to change how long you work up until this? You know, I've thought about that and I was really lucky in my last pregnancy in that um, Parker, my son, was due uh, two weeks after my um, spring session ended. So I knew I was going to have a little grace period in between and he ended up coming almost a week early. So I had that one week kind of like you where I was able to just kind of rest and get ready. Now, mm-hmm. this pregnancy, I'm due literally the week, the last week of my spring spe- session. Mm-hmm. And so I've given some thought to finishing it up a little bit early, like maybe a week or two early. But then at the same time, I'm thinking, well, I'm taking off the whole summer for maternity leave. So I really hate to it cheat my clients and myself out of those last couple of weeks because it's really hard being away from them and being away from my work for so long. And I know that now going into it for a mm-hmm. second time. So mm-hmm. I think I'll probably take it a little bit more easy as far as like my class schedules go. But I plan to continue with my one-on-one sessions up until that final week. And then, you know, we'll see when the baby decides to make her appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of my plan right now. What about you? I, this, this one's due mid August. Mm-hmm. And I think because I don't work on a, on a school schedule, I, th- I think instead of waiting until the week before, I think I am going to start transitioning my clients to the people who will take over for my maternity leave probably early August. Oh, that is so, so nice. Good. Bit of space and yeah. Time. Last time I took only six weeks. For... Really? Yeah. And that what was, made you decide you know... to do that? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have people working for you in your private practice at that point or no? At that point, no. Okay. Yeah. I th- I think I remember being nervous about – Honestly, I did. I did have a a few. I think one or two people who were covering my maternity leave, and I remember thinking, "Oh man, I don't want to take up any more of their time." And I feel like that's a long time to to take to miss work and for myself. And 
I I was concerned about clients. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember exactly. I was just thinking about what other people would need before imagining what I would need. And I, I, um, I will not be doing that way this time Good, because also, I mean, having a two-year-old at that point and an infant, it's just going to be a whole world of difference. And exactly, exactly. Need more time. Yeah. And, and I think that now I'm sort of in the boat that you were in going into your first pregnancy where you just kind of surrendered to the fact that you did not know what what it was going to be like and you had no control over it. And that's sort of where I'm at now. Like I have no clue what it's going to be like having a two-year-old and a newborn and a business (laughs) and an online business and, you know, all the other things that I'm trying to juggle. And so I'm just trying to keep a really open mind now and not set these really – rigid parameters like I did the first time. And when people ask me, oh, well, what's your work schedule going to look like when you go back? And how many clients are you going to see? And, you know, what are your hours going to be like? I tell them, I'm like, I have no idea because I may be able to jump back in to the point where I'm at now and I may not. And so that's just something that I'm planning to play by ear. And I think that taking off that whole summer will be helpful because it'll give me a chance to realize like what do I really want to do and what's going to be the best for me and for my family, but also, you know, for my business too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So did you feel emotionally ready to go back to work after those six weeks? I don't remember it being too hard because I, the way I was seeing clients, it was very sporadic. It wasn't for like an eight hour chunk of the day. So I wouldn't have to spend my entire day away from Sam. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember it being physically challenging, just figuring out pumping and right all of those logistics. And I really, I, I found that I like to work. I like to pursue cognitive (laughs) uh experiences so I I I I don't remember it being terribly hard and and I do think that I built up I didn't take everybody back on at six weeks but I took on like maybe half my load and then and then by eight weeks I think it was full Mm -hmm. full that's a smart way to do it and I feel like that's um kind of a common thing with people who work in private practice. I feel like it's a little bit easier to go back to work just because you're in charge of your own schedule. And Mm -hmm. for a lot of us, we're not necessarily working regular nine to five hours where we're away from the home or from our children for, for that amount of time. So I feel like it's a little bit easier. Um, and definitely there are the challenges and, um, you know, you just kind of have to learn as you go. But but I had that same feeling where it was like, I got back to work and it was really gratifying, like using my brain again and mm-hmm. using my skills because I fe- felt like I kind of lost that in those three months that I was on maternity leave. And I really craved that by the end. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So did you make any other changes in your career or in your private practice once you went back to work? Not immediately. No, not, no, not immediately. I, I think, well, now I've taken on so many clients. I think every couple of months I have this thought, like, I would rather not travel 20 miles um, to see that one client or uh, because I will be away from Sam, you know, so I think, okay, so now I want to, I want to structure my day so that I have the mornings with the baby and then the afternoons I'll be working. And now I think, okay, well, how can I limit that a little bit so that, I, so I just, I just try to condense my, my client load a little bit more. And I have taken on three subcontractors over the course of the last year and have been able to um, see the clients who are either the people that I've seen for the longest or the people who are physically closest to me. So I don't see clients on Fridays, but I try to allot some time to do administrative work on that day. So I think just, just gradually I went from doing everything I had been doing. And then every couple of months or so I've been making some changes and eventually I will hope to have a lot of my subcontractors see the clients that I, that I see at this point, and then just try to keep acquiring new clients and determining who is, who makes the most sense for me to see, you know, financially and economically it, it just to drive quite a distance isn't isn't really going to work in the long term so it's just been pretty gradual yeah and that's that's definitely a perk to owning a private practice is that you can really figure out what your priorities are as far as your workload goes and you kind of just learn like you listen to your intuition and it tells you you know what feels good for your business what feels good for you and you can kind of structure your work around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are there any other challenges that come with with working and also being a mom? Well, there are many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no shortage of them, really. Uh, I'm, man, I'm exhausted much of the time. And it's hard to take man i'm finding especially with this these last few months being pregnant it's it's been really hard to take a minute <clears throat> excuse me to to rest and to realize that i'm no good to anybody else if i am miserable and suffering you know so like to take take a a few minutes to rest or take a nap if i possibly can it's been it's been really hard where as opposed to before I had a baby, I would just, I would work, you know, it was just so much, it was so much easier to just, to do what I had set my mind to do, and I would just do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now, uh, I think that things are separated into different, different um, factions. I think, 
I've accepted that my my work is my life and my life is my work and there's not really a, a way to balance it because it's all one thing. It's one big ball. Uh, but I separate it into thinking, well, there's there's the child for whom to care and there's myself that I need to I need to keep healthy. And then I have the business and, and of course, being a wife, there's several different factions of that one ball that are, that I, I can, I can separate out what I need to. So I'll try to think of morning time is, it's, it's hard, but like morning time is family mother time with the child and then it's work time and then it's come home and deal with the house time and then it's rest and go to sleep time and it's so I think that's really challenging not to be able to complete a task when I have a if I have a project in my mind not to just to be able to to do it but to have to allot it to a different part of the day or a different part of the week or a different part of the month and a biggest a big big challenge is to recognize that there are any number of things that I'm interested in doing and learning and uh, pursuing that I just simply can't do right now. You know, you just can't do it. Yeah. Can't do maybe like there's half the things that I want to do and the things that I do end up doing, I want to do well. So you have to attribute a certain amount of time to that and, just a lot of time management, as as you know. But. Right. And it's a hard thing to admit to yourself that you can't do it all. Because mm-hmm. as business owners, we do have to balance so many different things. You know, there's not just the clinical work. There's not just yeah. the administrative work. It's like juggling all of these balls. And there's always something to do. And that, I think, has been one of the biggest challenges for me because I'm I'm the same way. I like to, you know, try to devote my morning times to being with my son. And, you know, even though that's that's the idea, I'll still have, oh, I really need to write this email or I need to mm-hmm. do this or that. And so I'm constantly finding myself trying to multitask, which really is just making everything less lesser quality than it could be if I was, you know, concentrating on one thing at a time. But that is so hard and I'm constantly battling that challenge. So I, I think. Yeah, that it, it's a battle. It, it really is. is. It really, really is. And then I, I have trouble not feeling defeated by it, you know? It's yes. Like some days I wake up and I feel like I'm already way behind in just general. Oh, exactly. <laughs> just behind in general. And that's. So that's so frustrating. Yeah, but. and like I'll I'll make a list of the things that I want to do at night when I come home from work and after I've put the baby down and um, you know I want to do this this and this for my business so that tomorrow I can tackle these other projects. Well, I'm a little exhausted at that point, so <laughs> instead of getting those things done, I went to bed early and now I have all of these things that I need to do the following day and it just feels like a snowball that's constantly growing and growing and yeah absolutely and then I also I I had been scheduling out my day (laughs) like within 
every half hour increment. I could do this for half an hour, you know, just so that I would feel like I have a handle on the, on the day. But now I have decided that that's just self-sabotage really. And (laughs) it really is because there's no way if I can sleep until seven, I would much rather sleep until seven instead of getting up at six to do something Mm -hmm. that I don't really want to do, you know? So then so it's so then you wake up behind, but now I think of my three big priorities for the day, and I could think of you know if I think of one thing being a physical activity, if I complete that, that's great. If I think of and if I think of my other thing being a business activity, that's great. And if I think of my other thing as being a social family task or you know something something along those lines and that's great then I feel like okay well I did something today and that's okay yeah and that's that's actually um something that I've heard a lot about and read a lot about lately I've been listening to some podcasts and and reading some blog posts that give that advice to instead of having this massive to-do list that you're just like copying and pasting from one day to the next yeah like choose those big three priorities and they don't even have to be big. They just have to be, you know, the things that need to get done. And then that way it's manageable and you're not overwhelmed with all of these decisions. Like, do I choose this or do I do this? Um, You just have those three things. And if you get those three things done, great. Then you can move on to something else. But if you accomplish those three things, then you've had a productive day. So I I really like that advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's helpful. Mm-hmm, it is. What are some fulfilling aspects of of managing being mom and also working? Well, I love doing them both. You know, I <laughs> yeah. love. I am so happy being a mother. I didn't have any idea about it. I didn't. I never considered myself somebody who was interested in babies. And I'm the youngest of my family never really babysat. I didn't have a babysitter myself, all of those things. I just didn't ever have any interest in babies. And now it's just amazing. It's so fun. And so, and I think, and I like the fact that I work for myself so that I, so that enables my ability to have time when I need it with, with the baby and to be able to switch things around. I, I really like, I I think that music therapy is such a malleable uh, profession and I'm finding that I enjoy a lot of different side projects when, like I have my clinical work and then I have side stuff that I like to do that, that I think is, is really, it's really fun. It's been really appealing and, uh, keeping me going when I feel tired and really, you know, exhausted and, and done. But I feel like I am in some professions, it might be that you burn out after a little bit, but I think that there is so much that you can do with music therapy that just find something else that sparks your creativity or sparks your interests. And it's a little, it's, it's easy. It's easy to, to find something that is fun to pursue in this profession. And so it's it's good. I think that's such a great point that you bring up because I, 
I have that feeling <laughs> pretty much every day. It's like if I feel like I'm getting a little burnt out in one area, I have four other areas that I can switch my brain to and kind of tackle a different type of project or um, you know business-related task that is still within you know my profession and is still within my field. But there are so many different facets to it and that leaves me feeling recharged so that I can go back to whatever I felt was burning me out and and then I'm I'm even more energized in that area too. So I I like that a lot. Yeah. It's exciting. It is. It really is exciting. And there's always something new on the horizon or something new to learn or things that you're picking up from your colleagues and I just find it so such an inspiring field to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. So we talked a little bit about how important self-care is and how difficult it can be to, to work that into your schedule. But what are some things that you do for yourself? Well, I – excuse me. Do – I try to make it to two yoga classes a week for a couple of reasons. So I think it's really nice to be able to, I think I'm a person who needs to exercise in order to make the rest of my day calm and not, I have a lot of extra anxiety that I can expend through exercise. So yoga happens to be a really complimentary uh, physical practice to being pregnant. And there's a couple of studios that are that are that specialize in prenatal and and even like postnatal yoga that are right around me. So I go to a couple of those that that help with self-care and it also helps a lot with strength and I think that, you know, having a toddler and moving instruments around and getting up and down and the bigger and bigger I get, I need to be stronger and stronger. So I'm trying to think of it as being a vacation for myself as well as something that's that's really beneficial in the long run. So those are a couple things. Well, that's one thing I try to be physically active and sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sleep. <laughs> I try to I try to sleep as much as I as much as I can and it's really hard not to feel guilty about it. But I sleep until the baby wakes up and sometimes that's 5:30 and sometimes that's 6:30. And if I'm able, I try to get to bed at 10 and whatever I sleep is, that's what I do. I sleep. And if I have a chance, there are a few days in the week that I have a gap in the middle of the day. And if I'm feeling tired, then I will take a nap. <laughs> Good for you. And that, that right there is, um, I think the thing that I feel the guiltiest about even though I am pregnant and I have a toddler and I have, you know, all of these different work projects, um, I just still feel that guilt every time I take a free minute to lay down and I need to stop with that because it, it does make such a big difference in my, in how I feel and how it affects my productivity and just my mood in general. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's amazing what sleep can do for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard not to feel guilty just in general. Yeah. Oh, I know. And that's something that we we all struggle with, especially working moms, is that, you know, we're all stretching our time out and we're all dividing it up. And 
you know, we question whether we're whether we're doing that right or whether we're spending too much time on our work or too little time. And there's never a right answer and it's always changing. And I think no matter how hard we try, that guilt is always going to be there in one way or another, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But mm-hmm. I guess we can just do the best we can to, you know, realize that like you were saying at the beginning, like there is no perfect balance. Like it's just kind of you have to take it one day at a time and figure out what works in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what advice do you have for other music therapists who are either thinking about starting a family or just had a baby or are thinking about adding another baby to the mix? Mm, my advice is to find a way to uh, remind yourself on a daily basis that um, you you're living your life and no one else's. If that makes any sense, like I have a friend who will write on her Google calendar, will write just like a sentence every day, just, and it can be about anything, but like, this might be a good idea for even for me to do, but, um, just remind yourself, like I'm doing the best I can given the situation and the circumstances in which I live and, I can't do anything else. I mean, that's, that is what I, that's the best thing I can do is, is continue being, I don't know, just, just trying to be the best version of yourself so that you can be the best mother and, um, yeah, prepare yourself that way, I guess. I love that. I think that's such a good idea. And it's such a recurring theme with so many of the guests on this podcast that I've talked to is to be kind to yourself and to give yourself grace um, because it's easy not to and it's easy to put ourselves last and put everything else on our plates before us. And if we do that, then eventually we're going to burn out in one or more of those areas. So I really, really like that idea. And then nobody benefits really. I mean, if you're unable to fulfill some part of the day, you know, then, then other people are going to be let down by it. Like if you burn out and like something terrible happens, you know, so I don't know, just, it's, it's hard to put yourself first under all circumstances. Yeah. (laughs) And it's hard not to look at what other people are doing and say, well, if this person can do those 25 things, then why can't I do these four things? And I think that I know I definitely do that. And in this day and age of seeing everybody's Facebook posts and Instagram pictures, it's yeah. so easy to say, oh, their life looks so perfect. Like, why can't my life look like that? And why can't I be that productive? You have no idea what's going on in the bigger picture with their lives. So you can only do what's best for you and, and like you said, live the best version of your own life. Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. So do you have any music therapy-related projects? I know you mentioned you have a lot of different um, 
things that you're working on with, through your business um, or news that you'd like to share? Well, a colleague friend of mine and I just started a podcast. We have two episodes out. We're going to try to do it and <clears throat> try to put out an episode a month. We have like, I think, two or three in the bank. So uh, hopefully we'll get another one up sometime before the end of March. It's been... We, we, it's not on iTunes yet. It's called Thoughts on Music Therapy. Okay. And, excuse me, you can find it at thoughtsonmusictherapy.com. You can download it, you know, from there. We will, we at the time, at this point, don't have a logo. So we have to do that before we submit it to iTunes or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is so cool. So. so do you talk about all all different things related to music therapy or is there one area of focus more so than others or we're going to have two different two different lengths so if we have a long if we have a long form episode we will be interviewing people who aren't necessarily music therapists themselves but who either have experience as a client or as a family member of music therapy or who have interest in learning more about it. So for instance, I, we want to interview other creative arts therapists in order to both learn about their field and learn about and, and educate and maybe advocate for music therapy as well. And so maybe there is an art therapist who has worked with a music therapist and maybe there is one who hasn't and they want to learn more about it. And so this would be like a dual interview. Like we're going to learn a little bit about what they do and they can learn a little bit about what music therapists might do in a certain population. But one of the first, one of the first, well, the first long form episode we have out is interviewing a, a patient's daughter because the patient was a hospice patient and speaking to the family members, like the people who are um, indirectly involved she was present in some music therapy sessions, but not all of them. And just seeing how music therapy affects the mother in other parts of the day, you know, other parts of her week. And did she recall who the music therapist was when she saw him um, outside of that context, you know, and, and just, just curious about how it affects and how it generalizes. And then we'll have like short form episodes where we will talk about music therapy in the news. Um, and like there's, for instance, there's, there was a lot of talk about that, the, oh, that movie. What was it? I can't remember what it's called now. Oh, I know the one you're talking about and I can't think of the title either. With the, I, with the iPod. Yeah. Yeah. With the iPod project. Yes, so, yes, yes. That along those lines, uh, just giving our our thoughts on it, just the two of us, we're both board certified music therapists. I work in private practice and he works in hospice. And so, yeah, so we'll just kind of alternate between those two types of episodes. I'm so excited to listen. And I think that your podcast is going to do such a service for our profession because it sounds like not only will it be interesting to music therapists, but also yeah. other people that might not necessarily know about music therapy or know about the benefits or the people that that it can help. So that's, that's is to yeah is to 
is to speak to people who don't necessarily know anything about music therapy, but it might be entertaining enough to listen to it. You know what I mean? Like, right, so right. exactly topical enough that, you know, that they might have interest in listening. So, yeah, and I don't think that there really are any other podcasts like that out right now. And I know that I am, I am like such a huge fan of podcasts now because you it's know. something that you can do while you're on a walk or while you're getting ready for the day or whatever. You don't have to be sitting what? in front of a computer. So that's sort of my go-to like form of entertainment and media yep. these days. On your own terms. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I will be subscribe subscribing as soon as you are on iTunes and I will put the link to your page on your show notes so that everybody can go check thanks. it out. Yeah. yeah thanks. And then I've got one last question for you, Erin, and that is, do you have any favorite products, books, or resources related to music therapy or motherhood or both? As far as music therapy goes, I um, what has served me the most is, is a clinical supervisor. <laughs> so it's not really a product or, well, it's a service though. Yeah, just, absolutely. I, yeah. So I, I work with a clinical supervisor every week and that has been really helpful in any number of ways. And so that's been, I think that's, I think that's great for people who work in private practice, but, but yeah, it, even like people who are starting out in the field and need some more support. Yeah, um, definitely. And then motherhood. I don't know. Uh, motherhood. I, you know, there are so many podcasts out there that I really think are fun. Yeah. Uh, do you have any favorites? Cause I'm always looking well, for new ones too. Totally mommy. Do you know that one? No, I don't. Yeah. It's totally mommy. Uh, and totally married. It's this woman who is uh she's just she has three podcasts at the moment she had four but she's a comedy writer but she's married to a producer a music music producer and they live in LA and they have a at this point I think they have a an 11 month old almost a year old little girl and so her totally mommy is interviewing all these different mothers and excuse me uh, it's it's funny, you know. It's just funny. Yeah, like awesome. If other podcasts that I really like, uh, for like for for motherhood is PediaCast. Do you know what that I is? I don't know that one either. No, that's a really in just that's definitely information based. It's a pediatrician who gives who talks about topics like measles for, you know, that's something that's up in the news now. So, you know, what do you talk about? And he's a pediatrician at Children's Hospital in Ohio, I believe. Okay. And so that's a good one, I think. Uh, And (laughs) one that's really explicit. So (laughs) (laughs) it's called One Bad Mother. It's kind of funny. It's also <laughs> along the same lines. There's two, there's two moms who are in the comedy business, but they, they have kids and they talk about, and they were both pregnant at the same time. And it's kind of funny to, to listen to that while they're pregnant and I'm pregnant at the same time. So yeah, that's cool. 
podcasts are, I just love them. Yes, me too. And I just discovered uh, one that you actually would probably really like. Um, it's called Being Boss, and it's by two Ooh. creative professionals. They're, oh. yeah, they're in um, graphic design and like web design, but they mm-hmm. are both moms and they both own their own businesses. So they talk about all of this stuff, all of the work life balance and, you know, the business stuff a lot. Um, so I've really been enjoying that one. Neat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for sharing all of those. <laughs> sure. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show. And I had such a fun time getting your spin on being a mom and being a business owner and expecting another one. So good luck with your second baby. Do you know if it's a girl or a boy yet? We don't know yet, and we still aren't sure if we're going to find out. Oh, fun. Our ultrasound is at the end of the month, March, so we'll we'll see if we make a decision by then. Do you have a feeling one way or the other? Mm, No, I don't. Not really. I have dreams that it's a girl. Do you? (laughs) I guess we'll have to wait and see. I guess I just don't remember. I don't remember what my thoughts were when he, you know, before I knew him. <laughs> yeah. Did you find out with Sam? No, we didn't. Oh, you didn't. So. Oh, I think that's so fun. And I really wanted to not find out this time, but my husband was like, no, I can't not know. So <laughs> we ended up finding out, but it, it, it all worked out okay. Well, good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Erin a message, you can contact her via Twitter at SoundMattersMT. Would you like to be a guest on the show? Let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at listenlearnmusic.com slash podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please leave a review on iTunes. I'll talk to you again next week.